So for those of you who are new here, my name is Dustin. I uh, used to be a past garden intern. So before we start, let's welcome Montrell, who just walked in the building. He will be the next round of interns. So cool, cool stuff. And then I've been a member here for three years now. Um, and God has called my family and I to go help plant a church down in Bed Hill called Redeemer City. So uh, I want to thank you guys, first of all, because most of you have been there from the beginning when I came to this church, just a mess, just an absolute mess. And I think it's because of this church that I'm actually able to go out and do this now. So I just want to thank you guys so much. And I think it's cool Joel has given me the chance to preach one more time as a member uh, at this church. So let's just hop right in. Uh, let's open up with prayer. Hey, Jesus, thank you. Thank you for this church, Lord, for them being by my side, by my family's side, this the entire way, Lord. Thank you for raising up people in Baltimore who want to see the gospel reach to the lost. And yeah, Lord, I pray today that uh, we can just come closer to you, come to understand prayer more deeply today, Lord, as that's what this sermon is on, and that we can understand prayer, especially during the tough times. Jesus, I feel super weak, tired, and humbled, um, and I like being in that situation because I know you will be most glorified when I am weak and you are strong. So, Lord, we pray that your word goes out today. We praise you. Amen. Um, so if I look tired, where Lily woke up at like 5.45, and uh, the baby then woke up, and I played basketball for the first time yesterday in like weeks, so I'm like sore, so every time I do something like this, like my abs tied up, so if I get like a Charlie horse or something right here, and I'm like, God loves you, don't worry, I'm okay, I'll work through it, um, cool stuff. So this past summer, God has been teaching me, like, tons about prayer. Like, I feel like at the beginning of the summer, my prayer life was just shaky. It was, it was not really, like, real. Like, I was kind of just going through the motions, you know? Like, my relationship with God was kind of off-kilter. Um, not in the sense of, like, uh, like, me and him weren't good, but, like, it, we just felt, it was like a disconnect almost, you know? Like, I wasn't our communication was just kind of off. And uh, this past summer, my family and I, we've been through a lot of different transitions. And it's, you know, with me losing a job and uh, we had a miscarriage and then just, it was one thing after another. And it was one of those things like God was using to drive me to my knees to finally see what prayer really looks like. And I, as I've been trying to learn more about prayer, prayer's hard because there's such a mystery to it. You know, like, you hear a lot, like, prayer should be, like, you know, a conversation with God, but when I see in the scriptures, like, it is a conversation, but it's not like a conversation with, the, with your homie, you know? <laughs> like, it's, it's something completely different. Like, I was reading uh, Ecclesiastes 5, and he's talking about approaching God slowly, like, don't rush in to, like, quickly speak and just mumble, jumble, jumble. 
It's like, no, you go to the throne slowly, listening silently. And then there's like the other side of prayer where it's like, I don't even know what to pray. And then you realize God's involved the entire time in prayer. Like we read in Romans, like the, the words you can't even speak up, the Holy Spirit's sending up to Jesus anyway. The, the prayers that you can't really grasp, God is helping you work through them. I heard a theologian named J.I. Packer, he once said, talking about that verse, it's like, it's like the moans and groans you give to God about, you know, the prayers in your heart. It's like the Holy Spirit comes in with like a pencil and like edits them and like makes them all nice and crafty as they go up to God. Like, you know, the Trinity, all Father, Son, Holy Spirit, they're all involved in prayer and it's, it's beautiful, you know? It's like we're not left to ourselves and, but even as I talk about this, prayer is still like this mysterious thing that you really can't just put your finger down like that's prayer or like, you know, this is more like prayer. It's, I think God made it kind of mysterious because, well, I don't know, actually, <laughs> because it's a mystery, right? Um, I felt convicted that my prayers have been passionless, have been fake, have been clumsy. Um, but I think that's what the Psalms are for. Throughout Christian history, the Psalms have been used to teach the people of God how to pray, how to have a conversation with God, how to talk to God. I've noticed three things when I've been reading through the Psalms. Is the Psalms, when you read them, they actually take you deep into the heart. You know, I think a lot of times we often can pray prayers that are just kind of like, hey, Jesus, we want the gospel to come to Baltimore. Amen. And it's like, there's no passion in that. There's no realness to this prayer life that you have with Jesus. And I think the Psalms, they, as we read them, we are like, wow, like, David was passionate about what he was praying for. Why am I not passionate? Why am I not saying, God, please bring the gospel to Baltimore? Please, in this neighborhood, I want to see the guy on the street corner come to know Christ. I want to see my neighbor who lets his dog poop on the front of our steps come to know Jesus. You know, we need to be passionate. And I think the Psalms drive us to be passionate about prayer. And I think the Psalms, they teach us how to communicate with God. You know, it's, I, as I read it, David's not like, you're my homeboy, you know? Like, God is our friend, but he's also the king. He is the creator and ruler of the world. And David approaches him as that God, you know? Teach you how to go to the throne. And it's not like you have to be formal in your prayers, like, Oh, King Jesus, we love you. It's, you know, it's, you could still have that passion, but being able to go to God in, uh, in the right way. And I think the Psalms force us to communicate to God as he is. I think oftentimes when we pray, we pray to a genie who uh, will want to answer 
you know, our every wish. That's, that's what we think about God. Like, God, I need a new Xbox 360. Um, I just need to get on top of that. Oh, the new Madden game's coming out. Lord, like, what's up? You know, like, we really, when we come to God like that, we're not coming to the real God. I feel like most, more oftentimes in my prayer, in my prayers, when I pray, I come to the false God of myself. Like, I end up almost, it sounds like I'm praying to myself. Like, God, if you could just make me a better person and make me a better father, and, but I'm going to end up going and doing it my own way and doing my own thing. You know what I'm saying? I like when people, when I say, you know what I'm saying, and people are like, yeah, I know what you're saying. <laughs> I'm just going to move this up here because this is kind of awkward. Okay. Eugene Peterson, the guy who wrote the uh, message, he said, left to ourselves, we will pray to some God who speaks what we like hearing or to part of God we can manage to understand. But what is critical is that we speak to the God who speaks to us and to everything he speaks to us. The Psalms train us in that conversation. That's the last thing with Psalms. It's not just us speaking to God. God is speaking to us. When we read the Psalms, God is using his word to speak to us and we respond in prayer. It's absolutely beautiful. But let's, let's actually dive in now to Psalm 4. So if you want to turn with me to Psalm 4. So as I was uh, studying this passage um, to kind of get the historical context, like where is David when he is praying this psalm? And what we see is there's, uh, we can read it two different ways. And most people come out 50-50 on it. You either, the one camp is, well, this is pre-King David, so Saul, well, first of all, David is on the run. Uh, there's somebody who is after his life who wants him dead. And so the first people who read the Bible uh, see Psalm 4 as Saul going after King David and wanting his throne. Saul was the temp king. David was the anointed king. And Saul did not want to give up his kingship. So David is on the run from Saul and prays his prayer. Or the other side says, no, 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 this is, uh, it's not post-King David, but David is king. This is after David's murdered and committed adultery. And, um, and now he's just let his family get out of wreck. And his son now is seeking to kill him because his son wants the throne. So most people fall between those. It's either this one or this one. And the reality is, as we're um, talking about it today, either one works. You know, so that, that's kind of the historical context. David is on the run from somebody who wants him dead, either Saul or his son. Um, and it, it kind of reminds me of uh, C.S. Lewis' Narnia series, Prince Caspian. I have not read the book. I've seen the movie, so I'm just going to, I know, I know. Shake your head at me. It's okay. But uh, right off the bat in the movie, Prince Caspian is on the run. He is the true king, but he's on the run from his family member who wants him dead because he wants the throne. And uh, what we find is he keeps going on the run 
until he runs into the forest and finds the magical horn that calls his heroes to the rescue. And I think this psalm is David's magical horn that is calling God to the rescue. There are three points that I want to make today uh, about what we can do in our life of prayer with God when we are going through seasons of change and pain and just seasons of struggles. Because this is what this psalm is about. This isn't, this isn't a psalm just about uh, prayer. This is a psalm about prayer during seasons of struggle, of pain, of change. So as we see this, I really want you guys to be like, I want this at the end of the sermon to be your psalm. Like I want us to go into the Bible and say to the choir master with string instruments, a psalm of John or a psalm of Laura, you know? Like this, this should be a psalm of ours that we are praying to God. Point one, our prayers are prayed in Christ. And what I mean by that is, let's look at verse one. David says, answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. David doesn't go to God as some like impersonal being that he's never met, that he doesn't have a relationship with. David goes to him as his God, the God who has saved him in the past, the God who has taken him out of the mud. I mean, that's, that's what the verse says. You've given me, re- me relief when I was in distress. This isn't a first encounter. God, David has a relationship with God. That's why our prayers are very similar. We can pray this prayer, like, answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You are the God who's given me the clean slate. You have given me the gospel. Be gracious to me. Hear my prayer. We can say that to God because God has been gracious to us in the past. He's saved us in the past. And God hears our prayers. David's not just shouting up like, all right, God. You know, like we sometimes do that. How many of you guys have seen angels in the outfield? That might be a bad example, but angels in the outfield. The guy's like, God, if if you're really there, please let the angels win the pennant, you know? Like, it's kind of like, sometimes when people pray, it's like that. Like, God, if you're, if you're actually there, just help the Orioles win the World Series, you know? But as Christians, as people who have been saved by Christ, we have been brought into the family of Christ. That's why we can say our prayers are prayed in Christ. So when I say that, Uh, One of the briefest meanings of in Christ is you are now a brother or sister of Jesus. God is your father, and it means that God the Spirit lives inside of you. And if that's the case, like I was saying, if the Trinity is all involved, if you were part of the family where Jesus is your brother, God's your father, and the Spirit lives inside of you, then you can be assured that every time you pray, even if it's the worst prayer imaginable, God hears you. God hears the desire in your, tr- in your heart that you can't bring to words. So that's why all our prayers are prayed in Christ. When we pray, we pray knowing that God hears us. 
that when we lose a job, we're not just saying, hey, God, if you're really there, please bring me a job. It's, no, God, my Father, thank you for being there. Thank you for hearing this. Help me. I desperately need you. I think that's why um, I like the prayers of children. Like when you hear children pray, I love hearing Lily pray <laughs> because she hasn't uh, got into the mumble jumbo yet of Christians who, this Christian culture where we've tried to like, you know, put on a fake smile and pray the right words. Like it's still like this real deep prayer. Like she knows God is her father. She loves Jesus. And it's this real like, Hey, Jesus, I love you. Thank you for mommy. Mommy's awesome. Amen. You know, like, it's this, like, 15-word prayer, but it's deeper than anything I could ever pray. You know? Like, hearing the prayers of children are beautiful because children relate to God knowing that he is actually their father. I think, uh, to wrap this point up, like, Verse 3 covers this, but know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. God hears you. I mean, this is what uh, Joel's series is about, that God has called you from eternity past. He's put his mark on you and said, you are going to be my child. I'm going to adopt you into my family, and I'm going to hear every prayer you ever pray. I'm going to listen to every prayer you ever pray. and I'm going to love you, you know? It's beautiful stuff. I love what Joel's doing with this. Because we need to know that. We need to know that we are truly a son or daughter of God. Point number one was our prayers are prayed in Christ. And point number two our prayers are heard because of Jesus. Therefore, we should trust in Christ. Point number two, our prayers are heard because of Jesus. Therefore, we should trust in Christ. Because God is the God who has loved us since the beginning of the world and is for us and not against us, we should trust in the Lord. We should trust that Jesus is the King that we totally know that Jesus got us. We don't have to worry. Look at verse 5 with me. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. That's what, that's what David's getting at. Our prayers are heard in Christ. Our prayers are prayed in Christ. And because our prayers are heard, by Jesus. We should trust in Christ. This is the moment, like, after a prayer where we've, all right, you know, God, I lost my job. How am I going to provide for my family, Lord? How will you help me? I know you can do it, Lord. I know you can take care of us. I'll wait for you. In your name we pray, amen. And then you walk away. But that prayer that you've already set forth saying that, you know, 
that Jesus heard you, this is your point where now you trust Christ. You trust that Christ has heard your prayer and you trust Christ that he knows what he's doing. That yeah, your wife lost a child. But I know what God is doing. I know what Christ is doing. I will trust him during this time. But there is a huge problem. Is uh, we really don't want to trust Christ during these seasons. I mean, we say we do, but we don't actually do it, you know? We pray the prayer, and then we walk away, and we run to false gods instead. You know, like, we immediately, like, all right, I lost my job, and instead of trusting that Jesus has my family under his care, I instead run to our bank account. Let's look what we have in savings, you know? And that's okay. I'm not saying that's a bad move. But I'm saying when I'm not trusting that Jesus is my God, when I'm not saying that, when I'm not trusting that Jesus is going to take care of me, I instead run to false gods, run to false security blankets, you know? The reality is in most of our prayers, during times of struggle, during times of pain and change, our words are not matching our actions. We're not trusting in Jesus. And I think, honestly, we are more like the men who David is rebuking in verse 2. David says, this is Psalm 4, verse 2, O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? Lies. Like I was saying, how long, how much time, how many times do we take to run after false gods? And see, this is, this is the, the heartbreaking thing, is when we pray and we don't actually mean what we pray, like Jesus, I trust that you have us, and we run to false gods, we're turning Jesus' glory to shame. Because this is the beautiful grace that God can give us in this time. This is the, you know, these are the opportunities that we desire in our hearts to grow closer to Christ, to watch God do wonders. And we turn that opportunity to shame Every time we run to false gods, every time we seek after lies, we rob God of his glory. As, a, as I've been part of this new church plant, we've been uh, looking for places to meet, and we're always coming across churches that are dead. They are dead churches that doesn't want to see the gospel be renewed in their city. They'd rather just hold on to a building and keep it and just be a bad testimony to the neighborhood. And what we keep finding is that they'll pray. They'll pray like, oh God, we want to see our church, you know, do amazing, cool things. But then they don't trust God and they instead trust their trust fund or 
trust, you know, the old ways of life that they did things. And what these dead churches do is they rob God of his glory to be a good testimony to the neighborhood, to be a good light, a good beacon. Don't be a dead Christian. There is hope. (laughs) There is hope. And I think David puts it in the psalm in verse 5. Look at verse 5 again. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. When we sin, our sin, every time we rob God of his glory, every time we run to false gods, our sin above all else is against God. Every evil we do, every sin we commit is against God. And every time we seek these false gods and run after these lies, it's ultimate rebellion. I heard um, the kidnapper in Ohio that just took place. He said, I'm not a monster. I'm just a sick person. But I'm normal. I think what we've done in our culture is we've took and taken sin and we just make it a disease that we're just affected by, which is true to an extent, but we, but we take out the extreme measure that we have rebelled against God. We're not just sick. We're criminals. We have ultimately gone against God in rebellion against his glory, against his creation, and against the meaning we were made for. But God provided a way. I mean, look at verse 5. Offer right sacrifices. See, in the Jewish context, in the Jewish system of David's king in time, when a Jew heard you say, offer right sacrifices, what came to mind was offering an animal, in particular, a lamb, to be put to death on your behalf. This lamb would be slain to symbolize that your sins were paid for, that your slate was wiped clean of all your criminal acts, of all the times you sought after false gods. The problem was the animal could never atone for your sins. There's nothing that can atone for your sins except the ultimate lamb, the ultimate sacrifice, Jesus. That's what the gospel is about. The gospel is that Jesus is that ultimate sacrifice. Jesus is that ultimate lamb who is killed on your behalf, who died the death that you deserve to die. See, that's the beauty is This psalm mimics Jesus' life. And Jesus was the true and better man. He was the true and better you, who in times of struggle, when he's about to be put to death on the cross, he doesn't run to Satan. He doesn't run to the Jews. He goes to God. says, not my will, but your will be done. He says, I trust in you, my Father. 
this is beautiful. Because if Jesus had messed up, then we have no hope. But Jesus didn't mess up. And because of that, Jesus knows our pain during times of struggle. Jesus went through a lot of seasons of change. This is the gospel <laughs> that Jesus died for us. And because of that, we can go to him completely, fully to the throne of grace. I mean, because of the gospel, you can easily now declare what David says in verse 7. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. The men that we were talking about ran after the false gods of security. But what David is saying here, you, have, you God, have put more joy in my heart. That even though they run after false gods, I'm not going to. As Christians, we can say that. We can say, God, because of the gospel, you have put so much joy in my heart. That when I pray, I'm going to trust in you. I'm going to trust that you're going to bring me through this time. For those of you who do not know Christ, come to know him. He is more beautiful, awesome, than you could ever imagine. And know that during those times of change and pain in your life, Jesus will be and is there for you. This leads me to my final point. Point number three. So be, well, recap. Our prayers are prayed in Christ. Because our prayers are heard of Jesus by Jesus, we should trust in Jesus. Point number three. We can fully rest in Jesus with our prayers. What do I mean by that? Look at verse eight. In peace, I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Because we know Jesus is our king. Because we know that on the cross, Jesus said, it is finished. That all the work that you were supposed to do, I did. I did on your behalf. We can finally rest. We can rest knowing that our prayers are heard by Jesus. We can rest that even though when we falter, that when we actually distrust Jesus, Jesus rescues us anyway. We can rest knowing that our prayers are heard, knowing that in times of change and struggle, we're not alone. And we're not going to be left alone. God is up to something. He's going to do something. It may not be what you like. And it may not be the way you thought it would be. But if it's what this verse is pointing to, Romans 8, that God does all things for your good, then you can rest 
you can rest knowing that God will keep you, will love you, and will bring you all the way home. Let's pray. Jesus, I think we're blown away about how gracious you've been to us, how merciful you've been to us, that even when our prayers suck, gosh, God, you fix them. That even when we quite don't know what to say or how to say it, you help us in that. That when we're in these times of change and struggle, Lord, you are with us. That we can trust in you and that we can rest in you. Jesus, we pray, I pray, that we can leave here today wanting to have a more beautiful and a bigger relationship in prayer with you, a life of prayer. Oh, Lord, let us leave here today resting in you. We love you, Lord. Amen.